everyone. Welcome to the Athletic Cleveland Podcast. I am TJ Soupy. Happy to be joined now by Zach Meisel. Officially calling you a teammate, Zach. Zach, of course, formerly with Cleveland.com on their Indians coverage. Now joining us over at the Athletic Cleveland and him and I tag teaming on some tribe coverage for the rest of this year and hopefully for many years to come. So welcome to the podcast, Zach. I'm happy that you're here finally. That's quite an introduction, and I think it would be a complete introduction if you compared my relocation, my additions to the athletic team with a random Indians acquisition of yesteryear. Somewhere between Bip Roberts and Rick White. Wow. That's is there is that that big of a spectrum? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I'm I'm guess I'm saying that the pickup must not be that great then. I'm sorry. Wow. Well, hopefully I uh, I don't or you don't line a pitch into my hand during was that what it was during batting practice that allowed Tony Fernandez to play against the Orioles in 97? That's exactly right. In batting so practice, lining a ball we'll, off Bip Roberts' hand. We can be better teammates than they were. <laughs> well, I don't know. Which one of us is hitting the home run to send us to the World Series? I'm going to put my money on you, I'll be honest. Well, it's probably neither of us. <laughs> uh, first order of business, I used to call this, or still am calling it, the Fielding Independent Podcast. However, since this is you and I kind of taking over and doing something different and hopefully doing this more than like once a month, we could actually make it into something our own, something different. So I am open to leaving it as is. I am open to changing. We can go in a different direction. We can open it up to our listeners for suggestions. And since we're at The Athletic, we can mix in four-letter words. It doesn't really matter. As long as we're not <laughs> offending anybody, you can call us whatever you want the podcast to be. Well, what about if we named it after like an Indian's cult hero? Like Bartolo Colon picked up quite a following once he left Cleveland, but there were guys like Jerry Sands. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Casey Blake. Did he fall in there? Um, Eric I think Cunningham. he hated Casey Blake. Didn't yeah. he? Didn't he have like a, he was almost the Brian Shaw before Brian Shaw. Oh, People what about like... the, Bri- the Shaw cast? People <laughs> would love to listen to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in their opinion, they probably tune in and assume we, we, we blow it every five seconds. So right. <laughs> the, so the app I, I think is it would be, always crashing. You know, we could, we could build a, a big following if we name it after one of those guys who fans irrationally loved, like Bill Selby, maybe. Mm, the Selby is God podcast. Yeah. Perhaps. The Selby is Godcast. If oh, wow. Well, you know what? Uh, having been in several bands back in my day, all of them terrible, I know that this is not something you can force. So you have to, you have to just kind of let it become what it is. So I'm not going to say we have to name it right now. And I think you're along the same lines. Yeah, but we can leave it open to interpretation and suggestions from our listeners. And I think, uh, well, I'll say this. I, I did a story earlier this season on Bill Selby and the bizarre fandom that followed after he hit a walk-off Grand Slam against Mariano Rivera 15 years ago. And he is, like, the most humble person I've ever spoken with and can't believe it. I mean, he still hears from people, and people will send him jerseys to autograph and stuff like that i think he would be very appreciative if we named the (laughs) podcast after him that's that's my sales pitch well that's something to consider so whether we go with bill selby or jeff branson or jeff juden or somebody along those (laughs) lines which is probably one of my favorite things to do at the ballpark is when i see those murals that they have on the wall yeah there's oral hersheiser and there's charlie manuel and there's tony fernandez at the top step of the dugout but don't lose sight of jeff branson who's also on the bench on that playoff roster 
And Jeff Juden is is he your worst, your least favorite player of all time because well, of the number he wore? Well, that Kenny Lofton growing up was my favorite baseball player, and he took his number. He was a pitcher wearing seven, and on top of all of that, he was horrendous when he was with the Indians. Oh, and by the way, I was a big fan of Steve Klein, and that's who they traded to get him. So it it, it was pretty much a, a trifecta of getting kicked in the nads when that trade went down. Why were you a big fan of Steve Klein? I don't know. I just kind of liked him, and I followed his career afterwards. It, it, it's not like you don't have those random players that you liked and followed and hoped that they did well early in your life. Okay, I have, I have one. If you ask me my favorite player of all time, the answer is David Justice. But if you ask me my favorite non-Cleveland player of all time, the answer you would never, ever, ever guess. Octavio Dotel pitched for <laughs> – he was a like a middle reliever, sometimes a setup man in his <laughs> prime, for like I think fourteen different major league teams. And for some reason, I loved him on the video games back in the day. Shout out MVP Baseball two thousand five, the goat. Um, and, and Dotel was really good, especially I think with Houston is where he spent most of his time. And um, I, my high school girlfriend's brother had a stack of baseball cards in their basement. And one day I was down there and no one else was down there. And I saw an Octavio Dotel card. And so I stole it. What? Actually, they don't even know this. So hopefully they're not listening. Um, but I kept it in my wallet for like 10 years, something crazy. And, <laughs> and for some reason, he was like my favorite player. And so in spring training, I don't know, five years ago, maybe, he was in the twilight of his career. He was pitching for the Tigers. And I did a story on him and I had him name – all the teams he ever played for and in order. And it was challenging. Like he struggled with it a little bit, but he nailed it. And it was, we both had so much fun with it. And it just like confirmed all my dreams throughout my life. that <laughs> This guy was one of my favorites. And it's, it's such a random choice. Like he pitched for 14 different teams. There are fans in those cities that like, don't even know who he is or didn't even care, care that he was on the team. And yet this dude in Cleveland who he never even played for the Indians um, has adored him for like 15 years. Well, I guess I'm now no longer curious as to why, and, and I should probably let people know, just pull back the curtain a little bit. In the press box in Cleveland, Zach has moved his seat now down by me. Originally you were sitting next to Paul Hoynes, but you got fed up with all the you've got mail that you heard <laughs> night after night, so you've moved down closer to me. And I, the first night I was surprised when you pulled the 8 by 10 out, of Dotel and put it in front of you as inspiration, but now I understand. <laughs> yeah, he's always there watching over me, making sure I'm writing good things. Uh, well, before this just breaks down into every random player we used to love from the 90s and early 2000s, let's talk Tribe. Um, and along the lines of pitchers, the Indians, you know, heading into this year felt like they one of the reasons why they would be back in, in the mix for another World Series run is because of the starting rotation. It hasn't exactly lived up to those expectations the way that we, we maybe thought that they would. I mean, considering Kluber missed a month and Carrasco was their best pitcher early. He's fallen back down here recently and has not been as good. Salazar has been on the disabled list. Early in the season, he was bad, came back, was great, and now back on the disabled list. They've mixed in Ryan Merritt. They've mixed in Mike Clevenger. And then Trevor Bauer has somewhere along the way become more, one of their more consistent guys. I don't know that this is the journey I thought we all would anticipate would see, but now as we sit here today, the calendar is about ready to turn to September. I still feel pretty good about the Indians' chances in the playoffs because of that rotation. 
Yeah, it's it's almost as if everything we say about how the Indians might fare in October, we have to say, look at last October and forget about it because that's they kind of bucked every trend. They were the exception to the rule. Um, they had two and nine tenths starters if we count Trevor Bauer as a fraction because he was missing part of his finger. Um, and, and, and they weren't the two and nine-tenths you would have chosen. I mean, they were missing their number two and their number three guy, and yet they still made the run they did. And, and the way they played, it's like you look at the scores of those games last year, and it was like, oh, well, that's the formula, timely hitting and, and awesome pitching. And that was the case, but it was the way they had to do it was so backwards. So it, it's strange because we talk about the Indians having a good chance to repeat their success from last year, maybe even win it all. And the reason you do that is because of the rotation, which is what they didn't have last season. So it, it's, it's comforting because, I mean, the Royals are not world beaters offensively. But when you see the way Ryan Merritt and Mike Clevenger pitched over the weekend, and obviously Carlos Carrasco followed that up Sunday, um, that gives you confidence just that, you know, there is depth there. And you're not going to need five or six starting pitchers in the playoffs, but when you don't know Danny Salazar's status and you don't know, I think we're going to talk about who we think the number three starter should be, but it's just the strength of the team is what we all thought the strength of the team was going to be for years. And it's finally living up to that. And I, you know, as you mentioned with Kluber and and all the different changes that have happened, uh, the fact that it's, it's been a little bit of a, a mixed match process to get where they're at and still feeling pretty good today. You know, as I, as I kind of look at things in the way that they'll set up in the postseason, I, I, the, one of the things I find most curious about it is that how much, how much our thoughts have changed pretty much throughout the year. Because I know you've been on many radio shows uh, and me as well where people ask, you know, who, if the playoffs started today, that's like everybody's favorite question. If the playoffs started today... Who would you trust in this situation? Well, for the Indians, I, I think they have that interesting question for their, uh, their number three spot right now because Kluber is locked into the one and you feel great about him and their chances just because you know you have him two, maybe three times in a series uh, if he replicates what he did last year. And then if you have a healthy Carrasco in game two, again, you're feeling pretty good even with some of the, the recent struggles aside. And then you focus on game three and I would say probably a month, maybe a month and a half ago, Mike Clevenger might have had that strongest case, that inside shot at getting that spot because he was pitching extremely well. Salazar was on the disabled list. Bauer was a little bit hit and miss. Well, now as the last month has played out, Salazar would have definitely had that spot a couple of weeks ago, but now he's back on the disabled list. Clevenger has been in and out of the rotation, and it's been some good, some bad. I'm starting to wonder if the guy that, has kind of been more consistent here of late is the guy that would get the call in game three. And I know it's easy to say because Salazar is on the disabled list, so you're moving from the from the equation now. But would Trevor Bauer be that guy? Would Bauer be the guy that you would put on the mound in game three? Because that's probably the way I'm leaning right now if the playoffs started today. I think I agree. I think – doesn't Danny Salazar just seem like he was born to pitch in relief – in the playoffs, like, can't you imagine him coming in in like the sixth inning of a close game and just throwing a hundred miles an hour for two innings and then calling it a day? Like he just, I, I understand you want him as a starter if he can be a starter because you get more volume out of him. But 
when you have to kick someone out of the rotation, like I, I just he seems like that perfect guy to go to the bullpen and do that multi inning thing. Um, I, it's weird because like a five game series is so different than a seven game series. Seven game series, you know, you probably use four starters and you can. It, it gets weird because then maybe if it goes seven, you bring your ace back a third time in relief. Stuff like, like weird things can happen like that. Um, and in a five game series. It's it's different because, first of all, you have days off, so you can really, really use your bullpen to your advantage. It's what the Indians did last year. It's why Andrew Miller could go two innings, it seemed like, every game. Uh, it's why you could do that with Cody Allen. It's why you could go to the bullpen in the third or fourth inning if you have to. So, uh, to me, it's like I'm trying to piece together how they would get through a series. And the first two games, it's pretty obvious. And then game three, it, to me, it almost depends on – like, if you brought Corey Kluber back on short rest for game four, then maybe you'd want Bauer to pitch game three just because he could eat innings in case he needed to. Like, I, I don't, there's so many weird dynamics where I don't know. I think it's a really tough decision, and it's tough to say now because we're still a month away um, and a lot of things can change. But if, if Salazar's pitching, if he's healthy and pitching the way he's pitched over the last six weeks – He's probably my choice, but if there's any hesitation at all, I have no problem going with, with Trevor Bauer. I think you met, mentioned something really interesting about that. You can use him as sort of that multi-inning weapon. The thing that the Indians have proven in a playoff setting that they're open to is being a little bit different in how they use their pitchers. I mean, if you you look at the way that, that Tito managed Josh Tomlin in the playoffs last year, he managed it perfectly because he's not a guy – in a perfect setting that you want facing a lineup three times through. He can be really good two times through, but once he starts getting up to 75 pitches, guys see him three times. He doesn't have the stuff to really change it up and and, and make those sorts of adjustments. He kind of is what he is, and once guys get that look, they make that adjustment and they start hitting him a little bit harder. You're able to, in the playoffs, take a, take a guy and, and maybe utilize him the best way that you can. And even if, say they do use Salazar, he's healthy and he's able to, to, to start games and he's as dominant as he was when he first came back, you can start him in games and still probably feel like you could pull him in the fourth or the fifth and you have such a, a deep uh, bullpen full of all sorts of different arms and you'll have probably more length back there with one of your starters probably coming out of the bullpen in the playoffs. If you want to be creative that way, I at least feel like they can take those pieces, parts, and figure out how to make that puzzle fit. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and don't forget, I mean, they've got Mike Clevenger, who we assume will probably be relegated to the bullpen for the playoffs. They've got Tomlin. They've got Sal. I mean, it's it's if everyone's healthy, the depth is finally there with, with the guys at, top, at the top anchoring it where there's, there's a lot they can do. They can get really creative. And – I think a lot of people, and this is okay because it's, you know, this fans do this. It's understandable. But we lose sight of what other teams are dealing with, right. what they have in their arsenal. You know, it's why everybody is so mad about the bullpen anytime they blow a game when in Detroit that's been happening every couple of days for 10 years. Um, I, I think, you know, you look at the other rotations and, like, the Red Sox have no idea what they have outside of Chris Sale. And Chris Sale is the one guy, he's a he, he, he can't beat the Indians. So, like, Boston fans are probably panicking about potentially matching up with the Indians in October. And you look at Houston, their offense has been incredible. 
Their bullpen is really good and deep, but it's their rotation that has hurt them a little bit here lately and, and is the biggest question mark. It's why they were linked to Sonny Gray. It's why they were linked to Justin Verlander. Um, so outside of Dallas Keuchel, who's had injury issues this season, they have some questions in their rotation too. So it's – I think the Indians are really playing with a strength here. I think it's – there are a lot of directions they can go, and I think most of them would be the right choice. And it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds over the next five weeks because they get everybody healthy. It's not just October they're going to have to make decisions with. It's, it's September too because you're going to have guys who are used to starting – having the pitch in relief, or you're going to go with a six-man rotation. You're going to give guys days off, stuff like that. So this is, this is going to be interesting. It makes for a fun time of year. I, kind of, I, I like September, and I hate September at the same time. <laughs> I mean, I think you're right about sometimes we lose sight because we're focused on the same thing every night. You know, the, the problems that you witness every night play out are the biggest problems that you think anybody has, and yet we don't spend enough time. You know, you and I don't get to because we're at the yard every single night. We don't really get to watch a lot of other teams. I know we check leaderboards and we watch highlights and we follow other writers. And, and so we, we sort of feel like we have a pretty good grasp on what other teams are dealing with. But every team, I would feel like in the American League, has that one thing or maybe even several things that they don't really feel that strongly about heading into the playoffs. You know, for the Indians... I guess you could say beyond the two, there's a lot of question marks. I could say that about every team. Uh, the, in the, the lineup, when, when, when guys are out, are they a little hit and miss? Absolutely. I mean, the other night, when you looked at the lineup, after Jay Bruce in the five spot, I, I wasn't sure if I was watching the Clippers or the Indians. And that's what happens when you're battling injuries. The bullpen, too. You know, we, we have concerns about them being overworked, and Andrew Miller's on the disabled list, and and all these things are relevant right now, but man, there's so much randomness once you get to October that I almost feel silly thinking about the things that we think are a big deal today that probably won't be when you get to October. And it's the same thing for, for strengths that you feel like you have now. Take, take yourself back to a year ago today when you had a healthy Carrasco and Salazar and you looked at the rotation and you said, wow, they're set up pretty well. Well, within a week, that was all changed and flipped on its head. And we aren't even to that part of the season that we were at last year. So I think it's, it's interesting because you always focus on the problems of today, but things change so quickly in this game for yourself and for other teams that if you ever stop to think about some of the stupid, stupid things that, that, we, that we write about, that we ask questions about. I mean, we were asking about Edwin Encarnacion almost every day in April, and fans were, were tweeting us and were concerned. And this guy's almost on pace for 40 home runs this year. Sometimes when you take yourself back and you think about all the concerns you have at that very moment, you don't realize just how quickly those things can almost become minor things or not even problems at all. Yeah, I mean, it's I know we say it, and it's cliche at this point, but it's such a crapshoot. <laughs> and, and baseball is. It's why you can't can't spend too much time analyzing one game one week even one month because it's everything is such a small sample when you play 162 times and you get few days off and it's you know the season goes from february to november sometimes and like if you're going to spend time dissecting three games and saying that this is a big problem for the indians because these this series they couldn't hit or something like that i mean it's I don't know. So it's, it's hard to uh, – like we can say the Indians' rotation is set up really well for October. We can say that the lineup is producing well. But you're right. 
we, we don't know what's going to happen. And, and I think, I you know, how many people predicted the Indians would beat the Red Sox in the division series last year? And then how many people predicted they'd beat Toronto in the championship series? And then how many people predicted they would have a 3-1 lead in the World Series? It's like every step of the way, you just thought that magic would kind of run dry. And it didn't until, you know, the very end of the World Series. So it's it's all about timing and peaking at the right time. And you can't I don't think you can really prepare for that. The only thing you can do is try to get healthy, try to get guys rested, but also Mm -hmm. not rusty. And it's it's delicate balance. And that's why Terry Francona is the manager of this team. And we're sitting here analyzing and (laughs) reacting to his decisions instead. And talking about former past obscure athletes. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. And our colleague, Travis Sawchick, wrote about it today at The Athletic, just examining how much guys could benefit from some rest. You and I know there are plenty of guys in that clubhouse that don't want it. I mean, there were times where where Kipnis was trying to push through the hamstring and Tito was saying, hey, let's let's take a day down. Let's let's rest a little bit. But Kipnis was feeling so good, maybe at the plate or in his approach, he didn't want to screw with that. He wanted to play. Same thing for Carlos Santana. And Tito says this all the time, you want to make him mad, you pull him out of the lineup. And that's kind of been what he's been over his career. So while, yes, from the outside, you and I can sit here and say, hey, maybe you should rest Edwin. Maybe you should sit Santana. Maybe you should take Brian Shaw and sit him down and and give him a week off. You know, we could say all these things now, but we aren't managing the same personalities. We don't know the conversations to an extent that that Tito has to have with the players or in what situations – They've begged to get into a game, those sorts of things. And that's part of what makes uh, the evaluation of, of a manager difficult because we aren't always privy to all the information. You know, you and I have a better understanding than the typical fan, but it's also even t- difficult for us to frame it properly to know every situation where Tito is trying to do but right by the club and the long-term aspect, but also right by that player too. Yeah, I mean, it, it's and, and September is going to be the most interesting thing because you're going to get we assume some pitchers and some hitters up here and you'll get young guys and you'll get guys like Ryan Merritt who have also played a role on this team in some crucial moments. And it's going to be fascinating to see, especially as guys get healthy. I mean, the disabled list right now is like a pretty good team. (laughs) They could probably beat the Phillies. And I'm, I'm really curious to see how this all plays out and, and who gets the playing time. And, you know, we have plenty of time to dissect how the playoff roster might look and, and who the odd men out might be. But it's going to be interesting to see who Terry Francona trusts and, and what the, um, the the best plan of action is just to get to get the most wins out of this at last, what, 35 games to make sure that, one, you run away with the division. Two, you aren't sweating out, like, home field advantage or anything in the last few days. And three, you have an idea of, who deserves to, to give you the best chance to win in October? So I I don't know. Like I, I was thinking, you know, Encarnacion, it seems he hasn't had a day off since like April. And like you would think he'd need a couple in September. But yeah, we, we've, you know, we've heard plenty about how guys like him and Santana and Lindor and Brian Shaw, they don't want days off. Kluber wants to pitch every five days, no matter what. And so, you know, how do you convince these guys that it's best for the team if, they take a back seat for a couple of days. If um, if you rest some guys, bring up some guys to get some at bats. Like, do you want to see Yandy Diaz start playing every day just to to see if he's an option for the future? I mean, because they have they have decisions to make too on Michael Brantley, on Carlos Santana, on Jay Bruce, and it's like 
if you're not going to keep those guys, you want to get a better look at some guys you already have in-house. So there, there's so much to balance, and I think that makes the last month fun, even though sometimes it makes the games a little unfair just because you're dealing with such an expanded roster. Right, and I, I know that's point of, been a point of contention for many managers where Francona has told us, hey, I don't like having you know, 40 guys available in a game, but as long as it's there, I'm going to take advantage of it. And he usually does with his pitching matchups or whatever. What I've been really impressed by is the way they've been been able to handle the depth issues that probably would have crippled a different club. And and I know uh, Travis also kind of wrote about this too, factoring in days missed on the disabled list and the talent. I mean, God, Zach, how many times have you and I been sitting there looking down, watching batting practice and wondering, is the guy that's hitting right now actually on the roster or is he not on the roster? <laughs> is he on the DL? Is, is Almonte on the roster? What about Eric Gonzalez? And you see so many different guys in the clubhouse on a different daily basis. You have to like ask yourself, is he active? Is he on the DL? I, I don't know. And I, I kind of feel for the guys that are, you know, uh, Tony Amato and those guys are having to, to figure out where to put people in the, the actual clubhouse in the locker room because there's so many different <laughs> Uh, guys that they're mixing in on a daily basis. You and I can't keep track of it. Imagine having to put all the spots up for all those guys in the locker room. Well, you know, the, it's it's their job to, to keep tabs on who's there, who's not, who's coming, who's going. I actually had a clubhouse attendance, attendant a few days ago ask me if a player was on the roster. <laughs> so if they don't know, there's no chance that I know. And it's uh, – yeah, it's, got, it's gotten challenging. It makes it easier in September because you just assume everyone who's um, within your, your eyesight is on the roster because you can have up to 40 guys. So I, it, it's, it's strange, and it's like I guess it becomes easier because anyone who comes off the disabled list starting Friday, they just add them back to the roster, and they don't right. have to demote anyone, so we don't have to keep as close the tabs on that. But it's, it's, this has been... It's been strange, and it's been strange that they've played so well in spite of all of these injuries. Yeah, I am surprised if you would have told me at the beginning of the year all the guys that would be on the DL at some point. I mean, and every team deals with it. It's not, it's not like the Indians are the only team that have, but it's how do you, how do you manage that? And I look at the outfield, the, the number of combinations that they've run out there uh, on opening day compared to where we're at today. And, and Tyler Naquin, who was uh, third in the, the rookie of the year balloting last year and was such a big part of the offense this year, or last year, can't even get on the roster this year, despite all the injuries. And, and Yandy Diaz was, was viewed to be a very special type prospect in spring training, but he's had to fight to get back and only recently has started to have a little bit more success at the big league level. I mean, you, you mentioned Ryan Merritt, the with him coming up and going down and up and down, and he's been this, that basically their insurance policy all year, and he's pitched well. Uh, to, to be able to have uh, an environment that, that they've kind of created and to be able to get the most out of those players has been really impressive. Uh, maybe we don't even talk about that enough, but the, the number of, of guys that have come up and have contributed at least something. Giovanni Urshela is not hitting, but look at what he's done defensively. Even Bradley Zimmer comes up, and yeah, he's fallen off here offensively, but God, the plays he's making in center field almost nightly are eye-popping and spectacular and clearly are, are adding value to wins. I don't know, Zach, and, and I'm curious what you think, if this is the result of because they have had so many injuries, 
it's it, it has created that next man up environment, not being a cliche, but actually being embraced because they've had to do it so many times. But even look at the bullpen. Last year, how many times did they have to go through a bullpen day? And because of that, it enabled them, at least in my mind, to be more prepared for when Bauer's finger exploded in Toronto. I'm curious to see how the Dodgers fare this postseason because it's look, they've had injuries too. Clayton Kershaw's missed a lot of time, but it's been so easy for them that once you get into those tight games and, and you know the whole world is watching, I wonder if, if the, anything changes. And I, I'm curious because with the Indians last year, it was almost like they didn't have time to feel sorry for themselves. Right. And, and, and they just, they had to just, it was, it's so cliche, but it was just next man up and let's go. And I think that helped. I mean, you know, it's not like, like Ryan Merritt obviously wouldn't have played any sort of postseason role had Carrasco and Salazar been healthy. But because he was able to do that, I almost wonder if, like, that kind of sent a message through the organization that, hey, as long as you do what you're supposed to do, you could have a chance and you never know. I mean, you could wind up north of the border pitching in the game that <laughs> clinches the Indians their first World Series berth in 20 years. So I, I think the other thing, too, is, you know, even when guys struggle a little bit, the Indians don't give up on people. They gave up on Brandon Phillips pretty quickly. They've given up on some other guys pretty quickly. Jeremy Guthrie is another. Um, that, that hasn't been the case lately, and I think you see guys, even when they struggle, a lot of times they come back and they're much better the second time. And it's probably a little early to say that about, like, Yandy Diaz, but would it surprise anybody if he finally, this time around, proved that he can hit major league pitching like he did at AAA for, for so long? Um, and, and I think you see it with other – I mean – Tyler Naquin obviously hasn't gotten as much of an opportunity this year, but they wrote it out with him last year. And, yeah, I mean, maybe they didn't have many other choices, but he struggled mightily in the second half down the stretch last year. He couldn't hit a high fastball, and they still stuck it out with him and with the thought that he'll be better in the long run because of it. And so sometimes good teams can't afford to do that. Um, And with the Indians, I guess because of injuries – They've had no choice but to, to stick with some young, inexperienced guys who might be struggling a little bit. But in the long run, it's paid off. I mean, everyone wanted Bradley Zimmer set to AAA when he went through that 0 for 30, whatever. We can argue about that number later. <laughs> um, slump. But you stick with it. He goes through some growing pains. And I think he learns something from it. And he makes some adjustments. And sometimes you go to AAA and you're facing pitchers who are not on your level. And it's, it's easy. And you don't really solve what your problems are. So... I, I don't know that this is like – I don't know that the Indians are just geniuses for this, but I, I think injuries have played a role and have kind of forced them into a corner. Uh, but it's, it's, it's been nice to see, and because of it, they've got veterans who contribute. They've got youngsters who have some experience and who the Indians aren't gun-shy about putting in some big moments. You know, Zach, I always thought that injuries created losses, and I learned something <laughs> today. Uh, well, I know – we got to get things wrapped up because uh, you're in New York tonight getting ready for the, the opening of this series against the Yankees, and then you'll be moving over to, to Detroit, and then I'll pick up the, the tail end of the trip in Chicago. So that's sort of how we'll be doing it for the rest of the year, trading off and, and trading places and then at home double-teaming our coverage. But I, I'm definitely looking forward to the next month plus ahead, and I'm hoping we've, uh, we'll be sitting next to each other until deep into October and, and maybe even November. What do you say? That would give us ample time to put out many editions of the Selby is Godcast. <laughs> you keep it just pushing rolls that. Off the tongue. 
And we'll see what everybody says. I'm willing to change, though. And I am not opposed to that. But, you know, I, like I said before, I am willing to, to let it marinate a little bit and see what people think. So I am, all, I, am, I am down with that if everybody else is, too. We'll see. All right. Maybe we can get Octavio Dotel on <laughs> for a, a future edition as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll call it Dotel with Dotel. There you go. Or we can settle for Kenny Lofton if you want. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be down as long as I think these days, as long as there's some some cash involved, Kenny's down for yeah. it. So. <laughs> but then again, isn't that the case with all of us? I'm pretty sure it is. Zach, thank you for your time this afternoon, and uh, we'll be looking forward to our next edition. Let's try to make this a semi-regular thing, shall we? Sounds good, TJ. Thanks to everybody for listening to the Athletic Cleveland podcast. Maybe the Bill Selby is Godcast. I don't know. It's up to you guys. But we appreciate everybody that has subscribed on either you're listening through Apple, through Apple Podcasts, or any other way that you find podcasts these days. I can't keep track of them all. But we are on pretty much every avenue that you can find and keep it locked to theathletic.com for the latest tribe coverage. I'm TJ Zuppi for Zach Meisel. We'll see you next week.